Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So there's no doubt about it, at this time of year, there seems to be, I guess, a little bit more openness to the idea of God, and particularly for someone that would normally call yourself a Christian. Churches will explain at this time, all you know, every year, Christmas time, more people are curious about faith and are checking out faith. And there's a few, there's a few you know, simple reasons for this. Number one, obviously, the, the Christmas story, particularly the way in which we understand it and tell it, there's a lot of you know, historical weight behind it. There's no doubt about it, wherever you stand, if you're a skeptic about whether Jesus was indeed God or not, whether Jesus was God with us, you can't deny that something happened about 2,000 years ago. Something happened that changed the world. Not only did it split <laughs> BC to AD, um, it began a radical new way of engaging with humanity, of thinking about the world. So wherever you stand on that, Jesus radically changed things. And so again, at Christmas time, from an intellectual level, people can be kind of open to the idea. It's, it's different. There's a whole lot about it. But also people can be open to the idea of God at Christmas time from an emotional level, right? There's a, a whole lot of nostalgia around it. It's hard to avoid it. You've got nativity scene pictures everywhere. You've got Christmas shows happening. You've got angels in the main street of Nambour. So there's a whole lot going on. So generally speaking, this time of year, there seems to be an openness to the idea of, of God. And, but Regardless of that, the stats are, are, are well in favor of understanding that irrespective of the season that a community or the world might be in, for most people, their openness to God or their readiness to be willing to believe in God or to engage with the idea of God wanting a personal relationship with them, that God indeed not just wants to be with us, but with you personally, hinges, generally speaking, of something much more than just an emotional feeling or an intellect, and it's something way more to do with an event that has happened to their life, something much more personal. Basically put, it's when a need arises in someone's life. They go through a struggle, there's a relationship breakdown, there's a health concern, they're experiencing some kind of new stress or tension in their life, and they've exhausted all other options. And this might be what's led you here today. This might be what's led you back to church, maybe. You've, you've explored all the other options. And not to say there aren't other options there. There certainly are other options, but they're not working the way you hoped. And so in a last-ditch effort, you've opened your heart up to the idea of God. And how can God kind of come into my world and help meet a need that's in my life? And the truth is, if you're a Christian, for those of you that are Christian here and a Jesus follower here, in fact, it might be the reason that today you're a follower of Jesus. That's how you came to know Jesus. There was a desperate situation. You found yourself super needy and it was in faith in Christ that you found God met that need. And it might not have been the way you hoped or planned or thought, but there's no doubt about it. You encountered the living God and He changed your life and He met a need. And this is indeed, this is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. In fact, this is exactly what is found in God through Jesus Christ. As we see a God who isn't disinterested in our life, but a God who's very interested in our life. In fact, He's so interested in our lives that He became one of us. And this is indeed the message of Christmas, that God put on a body and God came with us. He came on earth. And so you have to understand, and this is important for us to remember, that God cares about your needs. That he's not disinterested in them. Your needs aren't too great, that he can't do something about them. They're not too small, that he rolls his eyes at them. And indeed, sometimes it's when a need arises in our life that your faith in God can kind of be jolted into another gear to remind you that you have a heavenly Father who is interested in your life. And what's amazing about this idea about a God who meets needs, or at least a God who cares about our needs, is that all through the New Testament, 
those who witness Jesus, not just His life, but His death and resurrection, they went to great pains to, to explaining just how important this is or how much this is part of the Christian faith, a God who cares for you and a God who's interested in your life. And in fact, one of the most profound verses we have in our New Testament was in the letter written to Hebrews, to the Jewish Christians. And the author puts it this way. This is an amazing verse, and it's where I wanted to sit today. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the author writes this. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. And we see this idea and this truth explained all through the New Testament that in God, when we come to God, He cares about our needs. And in fact, He has mercy. He has mercy for the mistakes of your past. He has mercy. We talked about this in previous weeks for our sins, our past sins. But He also has grace for our current predicament or our current needs or the needs we have because of our past issues. So you can come to God and He uses this term here. You can come to God, notice this word, confidently. We can come to God with confidence. Now let's think about this for a moment. Because when you break down the meaning, particularly in the context it was used in, it has several kind of sub words that help to, to booster what they tried to get across with this original word of using confidence. It means to be bold, to be fearless, to be frank, open, and even vulnerable. And when you think of those words, did that ever does that ever relate to you and how you relate to God? Do you ever come to God bold, you know, frank, open, or even vulnerable? If you think about how you relate to God, whether you've been someone following Jesus for a long time or someone who's exploring faith or curious about faith, how do you relate with God? Would this word here, would this word be the word that best defines your relationship with God? You can come to God confidently. God, here's my needs. I'm confident that not only do you care, I'm confident that you hear me, but I'm confident that you care and I'm confident that you can do something about it. But I'm also confident that if things don't work out the way I hope they work out, you are still in control. Like, does this define your relationship with God? Because oh, someone agrees. Cool. Well, here, if it doesn't, if this is like the last word that defines, well, here's where I want us to sit today. And I think this is going to be super helpful. I certainly know it's been super helpful for me. Do you ever feel like you're actually allowed to approach God confidently, with a frankness, with a boldness, right? With a, with a vulnerability. And if you've ever found, I've certainly found this, that our view on God, our view on God can often shape how we approach Him. So if your view of God is He's indifferent, that probably, your, your way you approach Him probably wouldn't be with confidence. If your view of God is He's angry, or if your view of God that He's, you know, He hands out good prizes to those who are good boys and girls, and He keeps a list, and He knows if you've been naughty or nice, and that depends on whether you get gifts, whatever it might be, right? Your view of God ultimately shapes how we approach Him. And so I say all that to say this, in order, in order for God to make sure that we could know that you and I could approach Him and have a relationship with Him and come to God with confidence in order that God would let us come to comfort, <laughs> in order that God, in order that we would know that we could come to God with confidence, here's what God did. He became one of us. To remove all pretense, He took away all barrier, anything that would stop you and I from feeling like we could approach our Heavenly Father with confidence or boldness or openness or vulnerability. 
He clothed himself in the human form. And not as, not as a rich, powerful man, but in humility, as a carpenter. He entered the world as you and I entered the world, not with great pomp, but as a, the most innocent being on the planet, a newborn child. The most approachable way that God could think of to relate to you and I was to become one of us so that you and I could come to him confidently. And you'd see this play out time and time again during Jesus' time on earth, the different and unique ways in which people would approach him and the unique and different ways that people would engage with Jesus or relate to Jesus or what they would ask of Jesus or what they would expect from Jesus. Now, some of these people, they believe Jesus to be you know, just a man who was an interesting teacher. Others believed all the way that he was God in a body. And there's a whole spectrum there. And some of these people weren't even Jewish. In fact, I want to look at a story today about a man. He wasn't a Jewish. In fact, arguably, he was the greatest enemy of the Jews. Not only was he a Gentile, so culturally there was a tension there. He was a Roman centurion. So kind of like the boss of the enemies of the Jews. And then this guy has an encounter with Jesus, and it's recorded in Luke's gospel. And I love Luke's gospel. So let's have a look how this story goes. It says, A centurion's servant, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick. He was about to die. So the centurion heard of Jesus, right? He obviously heard that Jesus meets needs, and Jesus answers prayer, and that there's something unique about Jesus. So he'd heard of Jesus. And so he sent some of the elders of the Jews, <clears throat> excuse me, to see Jesus, asking him to come and heal his servant. It goes on. Excuse me. When they came to Jesus, so the elders of the Jews who the centurion sent, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with Jesus, saying, This man, he deserves it. He deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Now, before we get on to the rest of the story, the few interesting points here to notice. At this time, as I mentioned earlier, the tension between um, not just Jews and Gentiles, but Romans and Jews was massive. And so here you have a, a centurion who was in authority, who obviously had a servant who was dear to him, was like, I'm desperate. The physicians can't help him. Doctors can't help him. And so clearly he'd heard of Jesus and he knew Jesus was a Jew, the Jewish rabbi. So you can imagine the hesitancy of a centurion going, I, I'm not exactly in a position to ask a rabbi to come and help me because Romans aren't exactly viewed in light, in a good light for local Jews. So in order for him to go, how can I get myself the best footing? How can I approach Jesus and hopefully muster favour so he would meet a need of mine? So of course, he goes, who are the most highly respected Jews in the town? I'm going to find elders. So he grabs the elders in town because can you guys go and ask Jesus on my behalf? And that's exactly what they did. And they're like, they're pleading with him. He deserves it. This guy deserves it. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting to me, excuse me, what's interesting to me is that clearly he didn't have confidence to approach Jesus as he was. So he has to kind of put his best foot forward. How could he impress Jesus? Who are those that are going to curry the most favour with Jesus so my need would be met? And so he's like, you guys go. And I'll just, I'll be around the corner going, yeah, yeah, tell him I deserve it. I've built you a synagogue, you know, I'm good for it. In other ways, in other words, this guy was like, some ways presenting a front. Or as I like to see it, he was wearing a mask. And I want to talk about this idea today of wearing masks. This idea of we can present a front and in order to curry favour with God or to, to get a favour from Jesus or have our needs met, we somehow have to be impressive or to, to kind of, who is it in my world that's impressed? How can I kind of put a, a, a shield in front of who I really am? Because who I really am clearly doesn't deserve it. So how can I appear deserveable? Now, I know this word is very, it triggers us now because 
You know, everyone's wearing these surgical masks everywhere, and here we are in Queensland going, masks, are you for real? You know what I mean? Ha, 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 masks. We've got to wear them for the Christmas show, don't we? Yeah, great. So, you know what I mean? If, for those of us who are local here, if you're watching from somewhere else, I'm sorry if you have to wear masks. But So it's just this weird, so we're all talking about masks at the moment. Um, and there's all different environments in which you and I wear masks. You know, I'm trying to think, where else did I wear masks? The only time I ever wear a mask is... Uh, usually when I go to the snow and I wear like a face mask, it keeps the cold off my face, right? It's a barrier between the cold and my face. Now I have a natural barrier, okay? Now the reason, Chloe loves this barrier, by the way. Funniest joke of the day. Um, so I'm growing this because it's for the Christmas show and I'm playing a character in the Christmas show. And if you remember last year, my character needed a moustache. So I got to grow a very, very healthy, robust moustache. And this year I'm attempting to do it with my beard. So my character needs it. So I'm wearing a mask to pretend, right? It's, a, it's not really me. I'm wearing it to be someone else. I'm becoming the beard. The director of the show, Elliot, saying, you're going to need to become the beard. You need to embody the beard. So that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm doing. So we wear masks at times to pretend to be someone we're not. And so often a mask, it's like a barrier between who we are and what we want, which is ironic. It's ironic when you think of this centurion who's kind of sending the Jews out as like a you know, the mask to hide who he really is. Because in Christ, and this is remarkable, in Christ, God wore no mask. In Christ, God showed himself vulnerable. He stripped away all pretense. In Christ, it didn't come with great feats of miraculous strength with the heavens splitting open. He came as a person. God stripped himself of any pretense that people had been like God's you know, unapproachable or God somehow up in the sky and God's an interest and God has a beard. Jesus had a beard, arguably, but needless to say, he removed any mask so we could see God clear as day. And so if you're ever confused about what God was like and how God treats people and what God thinks and what God would do, we now have it clear as day. We get to look at Jesus because in Jesus, God was with us. What's amazing to me is we can often become... <laughs> We can become completely different people when we wear masks. A couple of weeks ago, um, I don't want to bore you with another running story, but it's the best I got today. I love to run. I love to go jogging, and, but generally stick to away from people, okay? So I run in like the bush. I run in trails. I love to get away. You kind of get to breathe a little bit of air in, and I can just get busy looking weird running without anyone going, hey, nice running, you know? Um, so that's what I do. But a couple of weeks ago, it was a hot day. It was a Saturday. And I was like, I really would love to go for a swim after my run. So I'm like, do I do it? Do I do it? I'm like, I'm doing it. So I decided to go down. It's like, it's a runner's paradise, but it's also the worst if you have any self-dignity. I wanted to go for a run down at Mooloolaba. Now, you're wondering, what's bad about going for a run at Mooloolaba? Saturday, midday, the whole of the Sunshine Coast is there. Okay. The other thing is this. In the runner's community, um, there's a, we have in, like... Um, inside language, when we talk to going for a run at Malulaba, we call it the catwalk. Because if you want to be seen running, go to Malulaba, right? So if you have any dignity, don't go to Malulaba running. Anyway, some of you are like, I love running at Malulaba. It's just me. I have issues. But anyway, 
So I was like, how do I go there? It's midday, it's a Saturday. I've got to do it without being spotted. I'm like, I've got to have a disguise of some sort. Like, Wait, I know, I've got the beard. No one recognized. Everyone's going to do the second look. So how can I add to that? So I found the most corniest hat I could find with a big brim, held it down low, and then I found these old school dorky sunnies, massive ones, and put them on. I'm like, no one's, I don't even recognize me. Right? So this is brilliant. I can wear tiny shorts and a tiny singlet and run up a little bar and like, no one will notice me. This is going to be brilliant. I get out of my car, hat, sunnies on, I'm ready to go, set my watch. Start running, not two minutes into it. Hey, Johnny! I'm like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But anyway, I was committed. I'm running, I'm running. But anyway, about halfway into the run, halfway into the run, again, one of the reasons why you don't run down at Malulba, particularly when there's lots of people, is there's lots of people. It impedes your running, right? And so I realized you run down at Malulba, don't you, Dan? I hope you don't feel judged today. Like, but at 4 a.m. So there's not many people down at 4 a.m. We're all sleeping. So this was midday on a Saturday. Anyway, so you're like dodging people. Anyway, I get to this spot and the family of five and they're, they're spread widthways. They're not walking like stand people in single file to hide their numbers. They're walking like stormtroopers side by side. You don't get it? Yes, he's got it. Some of you. Anywho, and so I'm like running, I'm running, I'm giving them, I'm running as loud as I could. Like I'm coming, just one of you move out of the way. And they didn't. And so it's this kid on a scooter walking his scooter next to him. He must've been about 11 and so I'm running, and he's just looking at me as I'm running. Dude, you can see I'm coming. Move, 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 move. And he didn't. So I had to, like, stop up. And I went, you right, mate? Walked around, kept running. And then as I ran off, did you hear the tone of my voice? I had this little voice in the back of my head say, wow, that was nice of you, wasn't it? You wear one mask, and all of a sudden you can say what you want to people. Imagine if there was someone from your church and they knew it was you. Would you have talked like that to them? I see where this is going. Man, you could say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. I don't even know if it's the Holy Spirit. It's just good manners, right? He's saying, look at you. You hide your identity for one moment and you're the meanest person at Malulaba. Are you right, mate? Just chill. And, it just, and for the next the rest of my run, this is what's going through my head, going, great. And I felt horrible because the truth is it wasn't me, or maybe it is me. Maybe wearing my mask I was being my true self a mean, impatient, grumpy dude. But you see my point, right? All of a sudden, I felt like no one knows it's me. And I snap at this kid. I'm like, what's up with that? But I wonder in the same way, we, when we approach God, we can sometimes feel like we can't be ourselves. And so we put our, try and put this best foot forward. Do you know I'm volunteering at the Christmas show? Do you know I've you know, reserve the whole front row for unchurched people. Do you know I've given half the money that goes towards hoping? Like, it's like, surely, surely God sees my impressiveness. And then we learn God's not impressed. I mean, I'm sure he's pleased, but what we see in Jesus is that when it comes to God meeting our need, it has nothing to do with whether we're impressive or not. It's all to do with the fact that God is a generous God and God is a caring God. And irrespective of the mask we wear and how we try to be impressive to God, you can't impress God for Him to be more loving and you can't depress God for Him to be less loving towards you. He is loving. And so the reason we're able to come confidently to God is not because of our resume. We can come confidently towards God because of His resume. Because in Christ, God has said, I love you, I am for you, I care about your needs. I care about your life. And because of Christ, because of Christ, not because of our resume or our impressive mask, we can come to Christ vulnerable, boldly, frankly, and dare I say, confidently towards God to find grace to help us in our time of need.
Anyways, so he sent the Jews to go see Jesus. To go, you know, this guy's he's worthy for you to meet his need to heal his servant. And then the very next verse, he changes his tune. And here's how the story continues. He was Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends. He sent friends to him. So no longer sent elders of the Jews. He's like, I'm just sending my friends. And they said to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I, I don't deserve. Now think of this. He literally sent the Jews to say, this guy deserves it. And here's his resume. You should come and heal his servant. But he finally says, you know what? I don't deserve it. I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I don't, did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, say the word, and my servant will be healed. This is what's remarkable in this story here, and we've got to catch it. In order to try and impress Jesus and hopefully get Jesus to meet his need, he tried to be impressive, you know, puts on a mask, and then it's like he just dropped the mask. He says, you know what? Just stop it. Pull, stop trying to argue my case for me. And he just was vulnerable. And he says, I actually don't deserve it. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, I've built a synagogue. <laughs> And yeah, I'm a friend of you. When all other centurions have brought a heavy yoke on the locals, I've been the nice guy. If there's one dude who deserves it, surely it's me. But actually, I don't deserve it. In fact, I don't deserve it so much. I don't even deserve myself to come to you personally. But notice he still had confidence. It's not as if he said, you're not able to do this. I don't have confidence in you anymore. He recognized that his confidence wasn't his, in his ability. His confidence wasn't rested in his own resume. His confidence wasn't rested in how impressive he was. His confidence was, was in who Jesus was. And it's the same for you and I. Our confidence, confidence does not come from our impressive resumes or good deeds or how we live our life. Our confidence in how we approach God always must come from Jesus himself. Right? The reason you and I can confidently come to God, vulnerably come to God, approach God. And this is important for you to know if you're someone who's unsure about God and have been hesitant to engage with God in any kind of personal way, you need to know Jesus has already done the hard yards on your behalf. This is what Christianity at its core is, this idea that in our stead, Jesus went the, Jesus went the hard route. Jesus paid the price for our mistakes. It's Jesus' resume who is impressive that you and I now get to trust in in order for us to confidently come towards God. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> and this is how Jesus responds. <laughs> this is how Jesus, the left side thinks it's amazing. All right, right side, I'm talking to you, right? <laughs> this, is how, this is how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, heard this man's response, he was amazed. He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And here's the amazing thing. The centurion put all of his faith in Jesus Christ, none of it in himself. And when we learn to put our faith in Christ, we find the freedom to drop our masks because we quickly learn that there's nothing we can do to deserve God's help and there's nothing we, to, we can do to not deserve God's help, right? There's no sacrifice we can make that deserves God's help and there's no sin we commit to not deserve God's help. There's nothing holy we can do to deserve God's help and there's nothing horrible we can do, are you hearing this, to deserve God's help, right? Our confidence is in what Jesus has done on our behalf, right? Jesus came down to our level so that we could then come up to His. We can approach God confidently because Jesus has walked in our shoes and Jesus has brought the brunt of our mistakes. And so the impressive resume that's brought before God is what Jesus has done on our behalf. This is why we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to ask, 
Do you ever feel like you can come to God confidently? If the reason you say no, you might have this big list of anti-resume. The truth is what's presented to God isn't your resume. It's Christ's resume on your behalf. And this, and if this is confusing to you, you have to understand, this is the whole idea that our New Testament writers were trying again and again to get across from us. So remember, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you can come to God confidently, right? You can receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Now, why is that? Well, two verses earlier, he explains why. And this is the picture we get back in the book of Hebrews. Two verses earlier, it says this. Therefore, since we have... A great high priest, and he's referring to Christ here, and I'll explain it in a moment. We have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith in which we profess. Okay, again, this letter was written to a Hebrew audience, so they would have understand this idea of a high priest, because in Jewish culture, the high priest was a significant, significant role. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would perform sacrifices at the front, not human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, just in case you're wondering, at the front of the temple. And then once a year, he would proceed inside the temple, in, but, but inside the tabernacle, in order then to intercede for his sins and the sins of the people. And since the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have now a perfect high priest, and He's made the sacrifice for us, and He has now gone into the temple to intercede on our behalf. This is what He's referring to. He ascended into heaven. And so <clears throat> Jesus now on our behalf is before God interceding for our needs. Now think about how radical that is. You think your prayers are heard. Imagine how much Jesus' prayers are heard, right? Jesus on your behalf and on my behalf is before our heavenly Father. And because of His perfect sacrifice. He's now saying, do you realise you can come confidently to God now? You don't have to be sheepish or shy or feel embarrassed or feel shame about it. You can confidently approach your heavenly Father because of Jesus, because Jesus has borne the brunt of humanity's sin, because Jesus has borne the brunt of our mistakes and He's made the ultimate sacrifice. We can now boldly come to God because when God looks at you, He sees you as He sees Jesus. <coughs> Did you catch that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I might need my water. Thank you, darling. Think of this for a moment. If you're watching along online, think about this for a moment. When God looks at you, <clears throat> He sees you as He sees Jesus. He doesn't see you in all your mistakes. He doesn't see you in all your faults. He sees what Jesus has done on your behalf, which is why we put our faith in Jesus, which is why it's so odd to me when you've got these certain statements we just kind of say off the cuff these days, you know, have faith in yourself. I'm like, but I'm not that good. I know what I'm like. It's the worst person in the world for me to put my faith in, but I can put my faith in Jesus. And putting my faith in Jesus gives me incredible confidence to come before my heavenly Father and go, I need mercy and I need grace to help me in my time of need. And you can do it confidently because when God looks at you, He's not standing there. Do you see God this way? You need to know this is what He's like. He doesn't stand there going, well, I know what you did last summer and you think you deserve me to help. He doesn't. When He looks at you, He looks at you. He sees you as He sees Jesus. At um, my wedding reception, just over nine years, nine years ago, we had a wonderful night. We had a wonderful reception. It's a great evening. And, um, and you know, the, the food was fantastic. The view was fantastic. Um, we had a, and the, the reason for this next illustration, we had, you know, a, a, a drink tab. So all the guests there, you know, get whatever drink you want. It's on us. 
It was a great, great night. And as the night was drawing to a close, I was going to say it cost me. It didn't cost me a lot of money. It cost Chloe's parents a lot of money. <laughs> but anyways, as the night was drawing to a close, um, it was well beyond. You know, it was well beyond my bedtime. When Chloe and I were engaged and dating, we had like this firm rule: 10 p.m. by the time, by the stroke of 10, I should have already left the house. And that was our like firm hard rule. And I was like, and I stuck to it. I was disciplined as Chloe would always try and go, no, no, break the law, break the rule. And I was like, I'd never do it, Chloe. I'd never do it. So anyway, I stuck to it and. Um, because we all know, right, nothing godly happens after 10 p.m. But anyways, we did a series not long ago on guilt-free, so you don't mean to do, mean to do that to you. Anyways, so 10 p.m. was gone. Now, it was at the reception. It was already well past 10 p.m. And so, like, I'm like, oh, I'm getting real tired. And anyway, so I was like, I need, like, a real pick-me-up. So I went over to the bar. I went over to the bar. And this is, you know, my jacket's off, kind of the tie is a little bit undone. And I go to the guy behind the bar. I'm like, mate, can I have a Red Bull? Thanks. Now, I never drink energy drinks ever. Like, and you save them for emergencies like, like this where you need like a pick-me-up, right? So I go, mate, one Red Bull, thanks. He goes, sure thing. That'll be eight bucks. And I was like, come on, mate. I go, it's an open, you know, it's, t- it's an open tab. He goes, yeah, no, that's just for alcohol and like soft drinks, but energy drinks, eight bucks. It's like, eight bucks. I was like, come on, man. It's gone all Joe Biden on him, right? And he's like, for those who know one. Anyways, <laughs> so... I go, I go, and then I, I drop the line, right? I was like, do you know who I am? It's <laughs> like, so, dude, I'm the groom. I'm the groom. And he's like, heard that one before, mate. <laughs> I was like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. I go, look at me, dude. I'm like, where? And he said to me, you all look the same to me. Everyone's here dressed the same, right? There's nothing, you, look at you. Because you come in here asking. I'm like, you have got it. I'm like, bro, I'm actually serious. I'm the groom. He's like, no, mate, get out of here, eight bucks. I was like, I don't have money. It's my wedding. I'm not carrying my wallet in my back. And so he didn't give it to me. So my own wedding literally forked out a lot of money for drink. Did you know this? And he's like, no rebel. So I'm walking away. 30 seconds later, he rushes up to me with a silver platter, a Red Bull on it, going, I am so sorry, master. (laughs) But it was that line he said. It's the line he said, you all look the same to me, right? You look like every other guy here. Right? I, I've heard that one. Stop trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Do you understand, though? It's different with God. Right? He's not there going, you all look the same at me. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Right? So you can like boldly walk up and go, Red Bull, thanks. You know, not Red Bull, but. <laughs> and this is how, this is the next verse. And this, we've got to, this is how he draws it to a close. He says, For we do not have a high priest. This is super important and super cool. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was, who was being tempted. This is the whole idea of God with us. We have one who is being tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Think of this for a moment. He uses this term, our weaknesses, our weaknesses. If you're anything like me, one of the biggest reasons why I'm tempted and always feel the pressure to somehow put a mask up and try and find the good stuff in my life to present to God before I believe God will be any interested in my needs or meeting them at all. It's because I'm so aware of my weaknesses. I'm like, surely my weaknesses are offensive to you and surely my weaknesses make me super unimpressive, God. And surely my, come on. And we, we, I think we do this. And when we come to God, we come timidly, we come shyly. Maybe the reason you've if you're someone who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe the reason you haven't had confidence to even approach God or the idea of God is because you see yourself 
and you see your weaknesses. You're like, the last thing I can even feel in front of God is confident. Maybe it's the reason why you're hesitant to even walk into a church building. Because you're like, I know what my life's like. I know what my home life's like. I know what my, like I'm aware of my weaknesses, my weaknesses. And that can so often cause us, particularly when we are so desperate and we're desperate enough to finally come to God. The last thing we come to God is, is confidently. We come sheepishly and shyly and embarrassed and with shame. And God, I, I don't deserve it. But you know what? Even on your best days, you still don't deserve it. <laughs> so this is why this is so important. He says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. He sympathizes. He sympathizes. Now, this, the Greek word here, sympathize, comes from two words. And that, the reason this is important to know is I, I found this super powerful. One of the words means to associate with another person or to be together with them or to be a companion or to walk besides. And the other word means to experience, to suffer, and to endure. So in other words, in Jesus, we see God walked beside you and I in our suffering, in our weaknesses, in our shame. He sympathized with you and I, not from a distance going, I feel for you. He walked in your shoes. And so when you come to God, God's not saying, so what's that feel like being pain? What's that feel like feeling weak? And what's that feel like? He knows. The reason He's so sympathetic to our plight is God knows. And this is the radical message of Christianity. It's why we don't shut up about it. It's why we talk about it. It's why we sing about it. It's why we put on shows about it. It's why we invite people into this. This ridiculous truth that God knows what it's like to be human. That in Christ, God walked among us, experienced our weakness, experienced what it was to be betrayed, experienced pain, experienced need. He had the full human experience like you like you and like me, yet one unique and radical difference. He was the one who did not sin. The only one, which is why we can trust Him. Now, I don't know how you relate to this or what you think you're supposed to do with this information, but here's what I want to encourage you to do today, is let your weaknesses draw you towards God, not from Him. And I know this seems counterintuitive. I shouldn't have confidence because I'm weak, but this is exactly what Jesus is inviting us to do. We come to God because we're weak. <laughs> and what's difficult in our world, particularly in the West, is we have so much in our lives, don't we, that fills our weaknesses, it fills our voids. We have stuff, we have resources, we have possessions, we have pleasure. Like there's just so much. So wherever I have a need, I can fill it with so many things. But if you ever get desperate enough to finally go, well, I'm going to turn to God for my last resort. Let me tell you, you can be so confident that God cares for you. He doesn't have to be your last resort. He can and should be our first resort. That you can turn to God First, you can bring your needs, no matter how small or great, to God because He sympathizes with you. He knows what it is to be human, yet without sin. And to which, and rightly so, because logically it makes sense to protest this, to go, well, God surely can't sympathize with me fully because He hasn't sinned. And He would only truly know what it is to be human if He had given in to temptation. However, I would say to you, it is only he who has resisted temptation to the end who knows its true and full weight. It is only he that resisted temptation to the very end that knows just how strong a weight it is. We give in too soon, so we don't know the full weight of temptation. Jesus does, because he resisted it all the way and which is what uniquely qualifies him to be in a position to help us 
in our time of need. He's the only one who can, which is why he concludes this passage in Hebrews with the verse we read at the start. Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's no barrier. There's no mask that you feel like you have to wear. Jesus has brought down every barrier or separation between us and man. You don't have to, between us and God, I should say, you don't have to list your resume. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to beg. You and I can come confidently towards a heavenly Father who cares about our needs. So this morning, I'd love to do just that, create a moment for you and I to come boldly and confidently before God with our needs. And if you're here with your partner or your spouse here today and you have needs in your life, we're going to take a minute to bring these needs to God. If you're here by yourself, I want you to bring your needs. If you're here with your family, you can bring your family. Maybe there's a loved one in your life that's far from God or someone who's sick or someone that's desperate for a miracle, whatever it might be. This morning together, I want us to bring corporately our needs before God. Not shyly, not with pretense, not I'm in church. So if there's ever a time God's going to answer my prayers, it's in. Nope. We can come boldly and confidently and bring our needs to God because our confidence is in Jesus Christ, our compassionate high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And so you and I can know confidence when we stand before God. So if you have any need this morning, I want to take a moment to pray for you. If you're someone that maybe... You've never brought your need towards God. This, I want to invite you to be included in this prayer today. And maybe it's in this moment, and as I said right at the beginning, it's often our needs that maybe opens a person's heart towards the reality of God. And this could be your moment today. So whatever it is, I want to invite us all to create, I guess, a moment of privacy, to bow our heads together. And I want you to be, to whatever need you have in your life, perhaps it's a relational tension, maybe it's a mental health struggle, Maybe a sick child or a sick parent. Maybe you're believing to purchase a house or to get a new job. Whatever is your need, it's not too great and it's not too small for your heavenly Father. Come on, just in your own way this morning and in your own heart, authentically, honestly, vulnerably, confidently, but just in your hearts right now, bring it before God. There is mercy and there is grace to help you in your time of need. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you care, that you're with us. And so together, we put our faith in Jesus. We lift to you our needs, our needs. We're desperate. We've exhausted all other options. Sorry that we didn't come to you first with this. But here we are now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for moving in the lives of marriages here today, moving in the lives of our children here today and our neighbours. I thank you for healing in people's bodies today. I thank you for ministry into people's mental state today. I thank you for bringing hope to people's lives today. I thank you for softening heart and hearts. Thank you for restoring relationships. Thank you for bringing miracle into people's finances. Thank you for the sale of houses, the purchase of houses. 
Thank you for new jobs. Thank you for promotions. God, those who are exhausted here today, I thank you for filling them with new life and energy like they've never known. Thank you for bringing healing to people's bodies. Thank you for removing pain from people's bodies. And God, while we wait, we want to thank you that you care for us, that you for us, and that you help us in our weaknesses. And we pray this all in the name of the one who paid it all for us. Just for one more moment, if we can keep our heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. And this is a specific prayer for perhaps anyone watching online today or anyone in the building today. And if you were honest, you would know that your actual life hasn't been right with God. Without putting too many parameters around defining that, you just know. If you know you haven't been right with God and you haven't trusted Him with your life, God is for you and He cares for you. I want to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask us all to pray it out loud together of committing our lives to God of saying yes to putting our trust in Jesus. And I want to invite everyone to pray this. But so I know who I'm praying for uniquely. If you want to be included in this prayer for the first time, and today you want to make your personal decision to trust Jesus, could you quickly give me a wave? I'll see your hand. You can put it straight back down. I just want to know who I'm including in this prayer today. It's a great way of acknowledging it before God, saying, God, today I'm putting my trust in you. As we pray this prayer this morning, who wants to be included in for the first time? But look across here today. Give me a wave. I'll see your hand. Maybe you've done this before in your life and today you kind of feel a pull to recommit your life to Christ. You've been doing your own thing for a season and you feel a challenge to trust Him in a new way today. Can I see your hand as well? Thank you so much. I see that hand over there. That's awesome. Last time I look across, don't want to miss anyone. Okay, let's pray this prayer out loud together after me. And I want us to mean this from the bottom of our hearts. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for forgiveness. Today, I bring my life to you. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Today, I put my trust in you. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer here today or online, I want to say that is absolutely awesome. And as a church, we are here to help you and take your next steps in that journey. So please don't leave without um, making yourself known to one of our team members today. If you're new here for any reason, feel free to swing by our Connect Lounge at the back of the auditorium. If you're online, please direct messages. We'd love to hear from you. And it's been super cool to have you here today. Please take the things on that you're sitting on home with you today. Be inviting people. Have a wonderful week and look forward to seeing you in December. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.